No, I wanted to ask you, or, or I want to talk about today. About uh, it was it was a, a buzz on Twitter or X, whatever it's called, uh, recently. And I know I saw you comment on something of about Ferrari starring Adam Driver, directed by Michael Mann, <laughs> and, and, and someone and someone uh, basically asked Driver uh, what he, he said, or he said, he said, "Oh, I saw. I thought the 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 uh, the, the car crashes or the, uh, the car stuff in this movie were." A little bit crude, a little bit cheesy, like poorly done. What are your thoughts? And again, to keep it to keep this somewhat clean on on an elf podcast, is that a driver's like, F you, man, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't I know. Love, I love the everyone coming back from the strikes with zero patience yeah. for the press tour. I love did you, did you see um Amon Villani? Uh, somebody oh, yeah, asked the, her the, what she the, thought the, of the box office the Bob Iger the box office performance of the Marvels she said I think that's Bob Iger's problem <laughs> great answer problem. great answer <laughs> whoever was on her like PR team that like hey we gotta prep you for like when they start asking about Bob deserves a raise because that that was a perfect answer that you would you would rarely see from a experience like a, like a person who's been in the industry for years I was like I don't mm. know I, I just did the project like I don't know. You, you interview someone who's been on the in the industry for years, and you get uh, you get Ridley Scott telling history nerds to get lost. Get lost. He's like, you know, <laughs> French people kind of hate themselves, so I really didn't care how I portray them in this movie. Yeah. Like, like you, you know, uh, Napoleon never fired a cannon at the Great Pyramids. He's like, I don't care. It looks cool. <laughs> He's like, I don't know. I just want to show it really quickly. He he took over Egypt. What's the best way to do that? Showing him hitting the pyramids with cannonballs. <laughs> But no, with the Q and A stuff, I, I want to add that your our story that we had with mm-hmm. with uh very briefly our, our Q and A that we went to many years ago at USC. Mm-hmm. It was Running Scared, and Running Scared yes. stars Bill, is Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines, and Billy Crystal was there with the with the uh, director, also director of photography, Peter Hyams. He did he, he she actually did both positions. But the first question out of the gate, Tom, was in that Q and A. What was the first question out of the gate to Billy Crystal? The first question was like, oh, I, you know, I'd really kick myself if I didn't take this opportunity. But like, I have a script that you'd be perfect for. And and everyone and, and, and Billy Crystal just starts like shaking his head immediately. He's like, not the time, not the time. Everybody in the audience just starts collectively booing this person right. like we're at a wrestling match. Um, but it's also this was a this was a screening that was put on by USC and, and like day one of film school at USC the dean of the film school gets up and tells you like we will be bringing celebrities here we will be bringing filmmakers here this is for you to learn about filmmaking like do not be don't be weird about it <laughs> um and it was like, first, you know, it, first it, question it, yeah it's it, it i mean that was ingrained to me to the point where like you know and when i work on films now there will be there's usually a time towards like the end of of any movie where like the crew kind of you, you bring stuff for for the main cast to sign and then you, you take pictures with the main cast there's like it's like don't don't freak out don't fan out until like the last couple of days you get a pass and, and even that part like people will always be oh are you bringing something for so-and-so to sign i'm like ah that feels weird to me and i realized it's that like usc yeah. ingrained into me is like don't don't be weird don't just treat them like normal people it's just funny to me when when you hear like a q a and sometimes even like the q a's the people who like are running it have terrible questions too like yeah, that's true. I'm, yeah, you got you got a good moderator. I remember one little, yeah, last one was, was I went to a La Land Q and A, and the person who was doing it, who was paid by a big publication, one of their questions was, were there any uh, times you guys 
played pranks on set, like there any hijinks on set. <laughs> and Gosling, and Emma Stone, and uh, Rosemary DeWitt were like, "No, we were we were just doing our jobs." Like, oh, okay. <laughs> what do you think this is? An Ocean's movie? Yeah. What is this? I'm not, I'm not George. No, we were learning choreography. Yeah. Pranks. Enough about that. Enough about Q and A's. Enough about scripts. But we'll talk about some kind of writing stuff here on this episode. But before we dive into kind of what episode we're talking about, my name is Brand Sparks. I'm Thomas Horton. And this is the Nation Podcast. And it's December, Thomas. Again, we we're, we went we went through a Halloween, went through October, we've gone through November, uh, a, a three-month process of just watching a lot of great movies or like a lot of specific mm-hmm. movies. And Chris, and for December, we're doing Christmas like we usually do. And it was difficult, I think, this month because we've done Christmas adjacent. We've done just plain Christmas movies. We've done Christmas horror horror movies, and I was like, "What do we do this this month? Like, because uh, do we like not do Christmas at all? What's the best way to yeah, do I it?" Yeah, I know. We we were brainstorming. And you were like, "I yeah. don't know. I feel like we might have done like all the Christmas movies." I was like, "Brandon, we've barely scratched the surface. I could do well. Well, I, I could know do what... a month. You know what? Next year, you guys, let me know if you want to do next year. We'll just do um uh each week. We'll do one of the Princess Switch movies, and then <laughs> hopefully." Hopefully by next Christmas we'll have a fourth Princess Switch movie and then yeah. we'll have done all of them. That could either give us a lot of listeners or we'd lose all of our <laughs> listeners. That's that's the thing about that one. But yeah, I talked about like doing like retail movies because I was also trying to figure out certain movies I wanted to cover and movies that you wanted to cover. And it came down to picking the idea of covering, basically discussing an, a Christmas in New York. New York Christmas, mm-hmm. because with it's interesting looking at the the film genre is that a lot of times when there's Christmas movies, a lot they're, they're mostly in New York, not all of them, but like a good portion. It's like it's yeah, it, it, it it's small, used it's, to be, which yeah, is it's, I, it's, I think it's, I think one of the it's small town I think stuff one of the New interesting York. things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. One of the interesting things is is of late in the last five or six years since we've had this explosion of the like life lifetime hallmark movies and and now you know every streaming site wants their own version of those we've we've talked about it before those are we, we brought it up in small stuck in a small town month it's those are all like leaving the big city to, yeah. to come to the small town so so we are we are kind of losing the art of the new york christmas movie a little bit but um but we're gonna we're gonna highlight some 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 gems this month yeah so so what do you think of when you think of like because yeah how to divide how to discuss this as a genre what do you think of with new york christmas movies i mean there's just so much iconic uh imagery as far as like christmas and new york in general you've got rockefeller center you've got uh you've got the the rockettes you've got the parade got the the you know the, the balloons floating down the street you've got uh you know all the lights going up giant christmas tree snow mm-hmm. i think it, you know it's it's just there's there's so much imagery attached to it and and i know my family it was always kind of tradition we we would tape the macy's thanksgiving parade mm-hmm. and because we would be like cooking and get we we always hosted thanksgiving so we would tape the parade and then rewatch it later but but that was like that was like the beginning of christmas for us it was yeah. like the the thanksgiving's done put the parade on and like now it's leading into christmas season yeah so um yeah and, and i mean i think a lot of the ones we're gonna be talking about this month are very iconic and, and kind of in the in the repertoire for for my family for growing up for like christmas so yeah i'm definitely definitely of the 
I'm definitely of the school of like the the big city is very romanticized at Christmas time. Yes, yes. Because like I think again, like if if you go around the world, it's like in England, London's kind of your big your big one. We talked about with Love Actually on mm-hmm. our Patreon, but New York, it's there's also something just kind of American about it, where it's like you could argue it's this idea, especially when you're looking backwards. It's like the idea of like America with the materialism of America around Christmas mm-hmm. time and how you have a lot like as we're talking as we're talking about a lot of retail movies as well this month with with today's movie elf and then later on with miracle on 34th street uh in the month but there is this kind of like hustle and bustle of going from department stores getting your christmas gifts um going to these shows like spending money and even like mm-hmm. when people like want to go to new york for christmas it's seen as like a big almost like a vacation sometimes if you're not from new york area like is there's something even if you're like for like because I remember watching like certain other like Disney Channel original movies like oh we're going to New York for Christmas it's like it's a big like ordeal mm. just to go to New York for Christmas like it's just yeah. it's just like going to Disney World or something for a vacation yeah well, um, it's just always like you know as as you get older and you you revisit the Home Alone movies you're like why is this family always trying to go places for like it's so stressful just yeah stay in your stay in your gorgeous suburban chicago home and enjoy christmas stay in your home <laughs> why do you have to leave every year yeah but i think i think something something that we're also going to come across as we go into these that I, I just kind of looking ahead at what patterns i think we're going to see is is this kind of question of like you know the 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 battle for like the soul of of new york it's this idea that like new york is like this this really rough-edged town but christmas is the time to to that it could be saved yes and and is christmas going to be it it, it, which is interesting because there's so much iconic imagery in the city uh related to it um related to the city that we immediate associate christmas with new york but then there's also this question of like can can christmas save the the soul of new york yeah Uh, (laughs) there's like a cynicism it's the interesting contradiction of like a cynicism of humanity with the christmas being a a, like show humanity to to Mm -hmm. to to your neighbor and it's that kind of interesting dichotomy i guess between the two and how it's like Mm -hmm. and it it is it's like if you if if we can make new yorkers (laughs) like be be happy and and loving than anyone can this kind of maybe the idea i don't i don't don't know i don't know but yeah it's interesting kind of again how to it's it's and and i wonder too if there's something there kind of the history of like talking about america of how like again new york is a lot of times the immigrants came over into ellis island how new york kind of became almost like a hub for entry into the country there is new york is always kind of this ideal like it's the city of cities in in america there's so much there like la is one as well but something about new york just like it's 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 the it's the buildings it's the uh the kind of lore of entertainment if it's coming from broadway there's just something that surrounds it um of of the lore of new york and then christmas just adds this other layer to it where like you want to try like again, it's like you talk about the Thanksgiving parade is there. You have the ball being dropped. New York's kind of New York's kind of seen as the hub of America. Mm-hmm. So naturally, Christmas is going to be should be that should be where the biggest the biggest city for Christmas. And with this month, we're kind of working our way backwards in uh, in a way because <laughs> we're starting with the 2003 film Elf. 
and Elf, uh, directed by John Favreau, written by David Burnenbaum, stars Will Ferrell as Buddy the Elf, an orphan, or he's not Will Ferrell at the beginning, but he's an orphan baby who who hides out in Santa Claus's sack when he when he visits the orphanage, and he ends up becoming an elf at the North Pole and working for Santa and the elves, and essentially Buddy is adopted by Papa Elf, played by Bob Newhart. Uh, and is raised as an elf. And then one day he realizes, he finds out he's actually a human. He didn't notice that when he was so big compared to all the little elves <laughs> around there. And he's told by Papa Elf that he's actually adopted and his real father is in New York City. And and he finds out from Santa as he's about to go see him that his, his father, his biological father, played by James Caan, is actually lifelong naughty lister, essentially. And he mm-hmm. now has to go to to New York to see his father, and hopefully, in his in his mind, he wants to bring him back to the nice list in a, in, in a way. And essentially, it becomes Elf by the Elf, bringing Christmas to all the kind of cynical individuals uh, of New York that he meets. And he meets a lot of variety of characters. Uh, the rest of the cast stars Zoe Deschanel, Mary Steenburgen, Ed Asner, and Bob Newhart. Also, uh, Faison Love, uh, a lot of comedians that we'll talk about a little bit. Kyle Gass, Andy Richter, uh, Amy Sedaris, uh, 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 Pierre Dinklage, unknown Pierre Dinklage, kind of like probably the biggest thing I know of before this is Liv- Living in Oblivion. So, mm-hmm. but big cast. And I'll ask you, Thomas, what's your history with Elf? Um, we saw this one in theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we kind of went to the Christmas, the, the like Thanksgiving week Christmas release every year. Um, and I, I remember like my parents not expecting much out of it yeah. be, and, and even being like a little apprehensive because it was like a Will, Will Ferrell like you know it was like pg or g or whatever but like they were like this this you really didn't have i feel like before this one you didn't really have these kind of like known adult comedians making kids movies in this way um and so like i i distinctly remember like them we're us going to see it but them being like i don't know like we'll see and then it was and this is still that era when like you got out of it and you're like this is amazing you're trying to talk your friends into going to see it but it's like if you don't go see it right now it won't be on home video until next christmas like yeah <laughs> people gotta realize yeah. that that was a that was a big deal that was a big deal yeah. is that just yeah just really trying to like push everyone you could to go see it because yeah the the christmas movies they wouldn't drop like the the, the dvd of a christmas movie in like February or March, whenever it was, it was time to, to yeah. put it on home video, they would save it until the next Christmas. Yeah, because what's the point? Um, what's the point? But but this one was, I imagine we'll talk numbers later on, but this was like the, that next year, this was like the, like everyone I knew had this DVD yeah. that, that next year that it came out. And it was a great DVD, by the way, because it was the Infinifilm. I don't know if you remember this. Infinifilm was a brand that was released through New Line Cinema. That was their, New Line Cinema as a studio. They had this Infinifilm where it was like usually a two disc set with a bunch of special features on it, and and Elf was mm. one of those. I had one for Rush Hour Two. That mm. was that was the second film I ever bought, and then I had this one was Infinifilm, with just like and basically what it, what it did was, is that you could watch the movie 
And during the movie, they have like a pop-up menu where like, oh, if you want to learn more about this scene, click mm. this button. Mm-hmm. And it would take you to a section of like, oh, let's talk about how they shot the Peter Dinklage scene with Will Ferrell and what was the set like that day. That's what the Infinite film was. It was supposed to be like this like interactive way of of enjoying the movie and learning about the movie. But so same thing with me is that I saw it in theaters. I remember either before watching it or I think it was after watching it. I, we had, I don't know if it was entertainment weekly or we had some sort of entertainment magazine and they'd done it. It might've been people. I don't, I'm not sure, but they did a review of elf. And I remember it not being like a positive review and us oh, being really? like us being like, well, they kind of missed out. Cause this, that was a good movie. <laughs> and and uh and that just kind of happens with as as we learn is that sometimes critical reception does not match the audience reception sometimes that changes for the better sometimes change for the worse but uh but yeah i remember us really liking it and again like you said it, we we had to wait a year i remember that with uh how the grinch stole christmas saw that in theaters mm-hmm. then had to wait a year for it to come out on on dvd that was the third dvd I ever bought by the way second mm. second it was first was mummy returns because the rock uh mm-hmm. second was rush hour two and then third was how grinch stole christmas and then i can't remember after that besides a few things <laughs> except the big numbers like vertigo was a thousand but but yeah it, it's it's one that we i liked when it came out and at a certain point i began to see it because there's because it was christmas movies specifically but a lot of movies in general but christmas movies is, is a good way to kind of pinpoint it it's easier to pinpoint is that at a certain time, the movie starts getting a little bit more play. It's like, it's yeah, big. Yeah, it's yeah. Big, it takes a couple of years for it to yeah. enter the lexicon. And I, I remember the first time I saw it on TV. I think it was like USA yep. had it. And I was like, oh, like it's one of those things. It's like, well, yeah, I own it on DVD, but now it's it's like a couple of days before Christmas. Everyone's kind of moving around the house. We're just gonna like put it on. Yeah. But yeah, it, it was it wasn't immediate. But I mean, you know, it came out when two thousand three, two thousand three, three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, by the time I was in like late high school, early college, it it was like bye buddy hope you find your dad like everybody said that you're like leaving a group of people like that's what you say when somebody leaves yes (laughs) and and i I remember specifically i think i was a junior in college it it, had gotten big but i i I never saw it as like someone's favorite christmas movie in the moment and Mm -hmm. then i remember i did like a a poll on facebook of like what's your favorite christmas movie and we got a lot of answers and I started seeing a lot of elf answers. I was like, that's surprising. Cause I'm thinking always like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, a Christmas story, maybe it's a wonderful life, home alone. And, and then elf started to make some, tra- or make some headway and get some, tra- gain some traction. I was like, okay, elf is, is getting bigger. And it was, it was probably about like the eighth or ninth, maybe ninth year um, of it coming out. But it's funny. We Dave and I talked about this uh, last year on our Patreon for Love Actually. How Love Actually came out, didn't do well, and then like really hit a dip, and then just some reason slowly started to amp up. And now was like, "Oh, it was always a big hit." And you're like, "No, it wasn't." At one point, uh-uh. I watched it, and no one knew what what it was when it came out. <laughs> and Elf was one like it was a big hit, but 
it, in a similar way as say other movies like like Hocus Pocus or whatever, it gained that 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 really strong following over time. It just was luckily mm-hmm. a successful movie when it came out, and that's when you get kind of all these other people kind of repeating, either like wanting to do a sequel or doing a television special, all because we did so well. And he also got put in perspective talking about Will Ferrell, is that Will Ferrell's coming right off of Saturday Night Live. We'll talk about the more as the podcast goes on. It was weird seeing him in like a kids movie, mm-hmm. and that that was like that was I was like, what's the bait and switch here? Is it supposed to be a kids movie, and then we get there and it's not? That was probably a little bit of the worry with people, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. like we had, we we had obviously had people make that transition before, like yes, but but like like Eddie Murphy did it over years, years. of like of like R R to PG thirteen to like PG, and and this was Will Ferrell. Like everybody knew him of being like the gross guy on SNL. Like that yeah. was his thing. Was he was just kind of always kind of like over the top and whatnot. Yeah. And then it was just like, hey, here's this kids movie. And it was yeah. like, am, <laughs> and also, is, is this actually going to be kid friendly? And also put in perspective, the previous movie he just released, so Elf's the second movie after after he left SNL. His first movie was old school. So, yeah. so you're thinking We're striking. What is this? Like what's going on? <laughs> And I was kind of probably too, a little bit too young to realize, but I knew I knew of old school. And I knew I wasn't supposed to watch it because I was mm-hmm. I was like I guess twelve, um, and or eleven when it came out. And so it was it was kind of like what do we do here? But I but weirdly I watched SNL growing up and knew him as like Nyetha Roxbury because I watched that movie growing up. I mm-hmm. watched him as Spartan cheerleaders with Sherry O'Terry. That was all like I knew all of that stuff from SNL. So with me, I was like, yeah, Farrell in a kids movie, no big deal. But we'll discuss because that kind of comes into play because I think Farrell was got some cold feet at some point about his image with going from being that provocative mm-hmm. comedian to is this funny and am I funny in this family film? So mm-hmm. we'll discuss that as we go on. But let's dive into the history of production of Elf. So a lot of this stuff comes from uh, Netflix movies that made us. They did a thing on Elf. So oh, I, t- yeah. I took a little bit from that. I also found a few interviews, one with John Favreau from Rolling Stone, where he kind of breaks down, like looking back on, I think at the 10 year anniversary uh, about making it and everything. And then also just kind of other various interviews and websites. So we start our story with aspiring screenwriter David Burnenbaum, uh, originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Burnenbaum moved to Los Angeles after graduating from the Tisch School of Fine Arts in New York. And while living in Los Angeles, he was working at a lingerie factory to pay his bills. (laughs) <laughs> he said it was around Christmas time in LA. And if you know any t- anything about being in LA during Christmas time, um, it's kind of warm, not, not, not fully Christmassy. Does not feel Christmassy? It's like, we always joke that the weather always feels the same, but all of a sudden it starts getting cold in the winter and fall. Like, oh yeah. I'm back to where, where I want to be a good 72 degrees. But <laughs> he, he said he was starting to miss the winters of the East coast when he was stuck out in LA during Christmas because he loved winners in the East Coast. Specifically, he loved watching Christmas movies. And he was homesick for the East Coast, so he rented a bunch of Christmas movies. And even though like he was he was Jewish and grew up Jewish, Christmas was always a big deal for him. So he grabbed some movies from the local video store to enjoy over the holiday. And one of the movies he watched was the popular Rankin Bass film, Rankin and Bass film, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. And David mm-hmm. quickly mm-hmm. quickly thought of the idea of what if you take that idea of an outsider from a Christmas world and put them in a more modern world, what would happen? 
And that's where the idea of Elf started. David said that while writing the movie, he wanted to be he wanted it to be a father-son story. David said his father passed away when he was a kid and he felt the story would have a bigger heart. Uh, if there was, if, if it was about a son searching for his father, he felt that would be a good connection for him that he could write about that he would want. And hopefully it would, it would be relevant or make some sort of, uh, uh, connection to people who, who watched it after finishing the script, David sent to his manager and they loved it. And they soon sent it out around Hollywood and a company by the name of Motion Picture Corporation of America, the mouthful, uh, optioned the script for a year. <laughs> the blandest name possible you can think of. For- <laughs> Motion Picture Corporation of America. Let me see what else did they do? Because and, and and also just like it's a their 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 logo was typical nineties like like uh like TV bumper. You know what I mean? Where it's like like NBC America or something. Uh, oh, they're still around. Did not realize they're still around. MPCA, still around. They they focus on low budget films mainly. Wow, thirty seven years. Oh, Dumb and Dumber. That was their big hit. So they lobby. Uh. Okay, this makes sense of what I'm about to say next. Then, <laughs> which I I did not realize this. So they did Dumb and Dumber, Kingpin, and Beverly Hills Ninja. And oh, okay. And when they option the script, so basically optioning a script means they can get it for a certain amount of time without the writer going out and trying to make it elsewhere. And Mm -hmm. they get a year of it usually. And the production company was very adamant about casting a highly popular SNL cast member in the lead role. And that was Chris Farley, Mm. Beverly Hills Ninja. (laughs) Burnenbaum didn't think Farley was right for the part. So when the movie didn't get off the ground in that period, he wasn't upset by it. I've also read at some point either when he wrote it initially or later, the movie was offered to Jim Carrey or mm-hmm. it was eyed for Jim Carrey. I mean, this is definitely on. that that time when you you try to attach Jim Carrey to it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because Carrey, again, uh, did Dumb and Dumber in 90. Yeah, well, the thing about Carrey, it's, it's a wild year. Does Dumb and Dumber 94, mm-hmm. uh, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective 94, and the mask in 94 just a behemoth of a year like the lowest grossing movie of that i think was maybe ace ventura and the other ones were massive hits it it was a big year for him so that didn't happen so a year a few years go by and i think in 1999 burnenbaum met up with a young producer by the name of john berg and they met for coffee and like david John didn't really have any major film credits to his name. Actually, at this point, he didn't have any film credits to his name, but he was this <laughs> young uh, producer who wanted to like make this happen because he loved the script. And he's the only thing he could bring to the table for this movie is that he could bring them Will Ferrell. <laughs> now, Ferrell, as we said, was in the middle of his SNL tenure, but he was looking to kind of move past that. And he, he even though he was seen as one of the biggest, most popular SNL cast members at the time, he was kind of considered the star people were kind of like if you're looking at your graduating class everyone kind of picks out who's going to be the most successful Farrell was mm-hmm. kind of seen as that person who was going to be the most successful out of that specific late 90s early 2000s Silent Life cast yeah now Berg felt he could get the script to Farrell because John Berg played pickup basketball with one of Farrell's agents it's who you know <laughs> it's, it's who you know kids so Berg yep. w- would give it to Farrell's rep who liked the script and they would just go up the ladder, finally getting to Will Ferrell and Will Ferrell loved it. Now 
Once Farrell became attached to the script, it seems he and his writing partner, Adam McKay, took a crack to kind of like put it more into in the Farrell's type of humor. Uh, at some point, writers uh, Scott Armstrong and Chris Hinchy did rewrites in the script separately. Armstrong had written Road Trip and the other upcoming Farrell vehicle, Old School. Uh, Hinchy mm-hmm. had mostly written on for television shows like Spin City and The Larry Sanders Show, but also later create Funny or Die with Farrell and McKay. That yep. was his big thing. After attaching a star to the script, Berg and his producer, producing partner Todd Komarnicki, I'm going to butcher that name, uh, went around <laughs> to multiple studios to try and sell it, but every major studio turned them down, and the sole reason for that was because they didn't feel Will Ferrell could carry a movie. Ferrell had mainly played supporting roles in movies like Superstar with Molly Shannon, based on SNL mm-hmm. sketch, and Austin Powers. His sole leading role was in A Night at the Roxbury which was considered kind of a middling film, only grossing $30 when million. Was, uh, when was Dick? I loved that movie. That was in like 2001, I believe. Okay. Nobody so, talks about that movie enough anymore. I'm a, big, I'm a big Kirsten Dunst guy. Oh, I love Kirsten Dunst. You know I love Kirsten Dunst. Uh, it's wild how she's just been so, around for so long in, in actuality. Mm-hmm. Just been, I mean, and like I remember from her from Wag the Dog, and that's like mid-90s with uh de niro and dustin Hoffman, very briefly in that but uh yeah he was in dick i think he did like i don't know when ladies man was i feel like he popped up in ladies but he's he did a lot of like popping up supporting roles so it was kind of like oh it's a guy from snl like in these like smaller roles and neither roxbury which as again as a child i love neither roxbury and uh it just didn't do well for them him so at this point still on snl it, it, he didn't have a lot of opportunities to to be a leading man in movies, but with him leaving, Elf was to be one of his first leading roles. So the script soon got to New Line Cinema, and New Line had gained a reputation in Hollywood as kind of a second tier second tier studio that focused mainly on horror films. Uh, we talked about this in our Wes Craven episode because Wes Craven's Nightmare mm-hmm. on Elm Street kind of built that studio up. It's, it's New Line Cinema is always known as the house that Freddy built because Nightmare on Elm Street was so big. And also, side note at this time, they're also making a little trilogy called Lord of the Rings around yep. this period. Uh, a G- but a junior executive at New Line Cinema by the name of Kale Boiter, uh, Kale said he loved Will Ferrell and he wanted to see him in more movies. So he got New Line to option the project. And by the way, this is one of Kale's first producing credits as well. He's now one of the main producers on Dune. So, oh, nice. so yeah. And John Berg's actually done a lot of DC movies, like I think Wonder Woman and a few other ones within the within the DC extended universe. So this kind of launched a lot of people, this movie did, not just Will Ferrell and the stardom, but everyone behind the camera as well. Mm-hmm. So after New Line optioned the script, the production team began meeting with directing prospects, and they couldn't get any of the top directors because it was such a small project. Will Ferrell wasn't that big. Uh, and even a lot of B-level directors weren't good options either for the tone they were wanting to go for. Uh, they said one director pitched the idea of turning Jovi, Buddy's co-worker at Gimbal's and Love Interest, into a New York prostitute. So he was going for a Leaving Las Vegas It's Christmas Time type movie. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Uh, one of these directors they apparently offered the role to was Terry uh, Zwigoff. I think that's mm-hmm. his name. I think he's coming off Ghost World. Uh, but he apparently turn down elf to make bad santa instead 
So I think he was going for a more mature adult yep. Christmas movie. Uh, but since they're working on such a tight budget, they were holding these meetings on the film set of Old School, which is what Farrell was shooting, mm. shooting at that time. And while on the Old School set, Farrell's co-star, Vince Vaughn, suggested they talk to his good old buddy, John Favreau. Mm-hmm. Now, Vaughn had been buddies for, with Favreau for years. They, st- they both had supporting roles in the hit sports film Rudy when Vince Vaughn mm-hmm. was credited mm-hmm. as Vincent Vaughn. Uh, but they later gained fame together in Favreau's screenwriting debut of Swingers from the early for the mid nineties. You're so money, baby. Yeah, y- y'all. It was you always a uh, you always double on eleven. What's the what's the thing? You always. I'm blanking. It's I don't remember that. Okay. I just remember you're so money. You're so money. Yeah, Vegas baby. It's been a while. It's been a long yeah, time yeah. since I've seen Swingers. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I love Swingers. Used to go to the the diner they went to, went to all the time at Hollywood or Cafe One Hundred One. Now closed. Now it's something else. <laughs> not the diner. Not the diner called Swingers, but the, no, the diner yeah. where they went. To. <laughs> Coffee shop. Coffee shop. One hundred and one in the basement of the Best Western in Hollywood. Now it's think it's called Clark Street Diner. It's it's like more open during the days. Coffee shop one hundred and one was always open at night. It was beautiful. Had some blackened catfish with eggs. Uh, delicious. Anyway, but uh, Fon would later, uh, Vince Fon would later also star in Favreau's directorial debut, Made, uh, which Favreau also starred in. So. Well, some say Favreau, or, or while Vaughn says he put Favreau up for it, Favreau said he originally got the script from his manager, who was managing Will Ferrell at the time. And Favreau said he initially didn't want to make Elf because he felt the script was too dark, and he wanted the character of Buddy to be a little bit more innocent. So he, he said he felt it needed to be more like a PG movie, and the script was more of a PG-13 film. Right, hmm. But writer David Birnenbaum doesn't think that was the case because he, says it was, he said it was always meant to be a family film. So there's some sort of uh, <laughs> misremembering there from someone. But Favreau said he was mainly interested in making the movie because it was one of Farrell's first movies after leaving SNL. And so he hadn't really developed a cinematic persona yet. So with only one movie under his belt, Favreau took the meeting for Elf. And in his original pitch for Elf... Favreau bought a book, brought a book on Rankin and Bass, and he said he wanted the North Pole sequences to feel like the Rankin and Bass movies of his childhood. And what he didn't know when he said that was that the movie that was the inspiration behind the script was Rankin and Bass films. Mm-hmm. Uh, Favreau said he also wanted to make a true family film that had a lot of heart. He said he had just become a father and he wanted to make something he could take his kid to. He also said like Christmas movies were a big deal for him because his mother passed away at a very young age similar as David Birnbaum's father and Christmas kind of became a way to continue on her like her, her legacy. And they always would watch Christmas movies together. Then his big goal, he said he wanted to make elf into a timeless Christmas classic, which they thought was a very lofty goal Mm -hmm. to put on the table in your first pitch meeting. But once he signed on, he quickly began rewriting the script and new line cinema greenlit the project. And with that, he began casting the movie. Now, he originally offered the role of Walter, Buddy's biological father, to Gary Shandling. And hmm. Shandling would pass. And that would make Favreau go to his number two on his casting list. And that would be James Caan. And James Caan would accept it, which they were kind of like surprised by huh. because he's mostly known as a dramatic actor. Not comedy. Interesting. So then he puts Gary Shandling in Iron Man. Iron Man, Iron Man 2. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Iron Man 2, yeah. 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 Huh. Interesting. Yeah. 
And I think there's even like a picture. I don't know if it was an elf premiere, but Gary Shandling with James Caan and Will Ferrell or something like that. It's I'm like, wow. Yeah, that's that's a that's an interesting choice. It's just because James Caan is like so grounded in this, and I don't, you know, I I, I really like Gary Shandling, but I feel yeah. like he's he's a little broader. Um, like him him and Ferrell together would have been, yeah, a little too very mu- different. Might have been too, mu- been too much. I I guess I, th- I think so. I think Khan grounds it, and where it's like, he's he's a better straight man maybe mm-hmm. than Shandling. I don't know. Uh, for the role of like Shandling, Shandling has this thing where he like he plays it straight, but it's it's funny, it's funny. when he when he plays straight. Yeah, yeah. He, and 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 Farrell has to be the one to shine in the in the comedy moments here. Mm-hmm. Um, for the role of Jovi, the the kind of coworker of Buddy at at the at Gimbal's, New Line Cinema wanted Katie Holmes to play the part, hmm. but for some reason Katie Holmes turned it down. And Favreau and his team would begin holding a bunch of auditions for the role of Jovi. That's when they found Zoe Deschanel, who had recently appeared in Cameron Crowe's Cameron Crowe's Almost Famous, and David Gordon Green's All the Real Girls uh, for the role of and one, one episode of Frasier as Roz's little sister. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> um, for the role of Wanda, the manager of Gimbal's, uh, they offered the role to Wanda Sykes, and that's why it was called Wanda. <laughs> Uh, and she accepted, but right before production, she had to back out for some reason. And Favreau's friend Fra- Faison Love stepped into the role. He wanted to make sure he kept the one name tag on for his wardrobe. Uh, okay. And finally, uh, Favreau had the idea to cast sitcom legends Bob Newhart and Ed Asner in the roles of Papa Elf and Santa Claus. He would round the cast with uh, Mary Sinburgen, uh, Peter Dinklage, and a lot of comedy actors, uh, Andy Richter, Kyle Gass, Ari Lang, and Amy Sedaris. So with the cast in place and the script ready to go after almost a decade in development, Elf was ready to start filming in New York City. Before we dive into that, let's talk about our favorite scenes. So Thomas, what's been your favorite scenes in Elf? You know, I'm going to try and be, you know, I'm trying not name every gag in this movie. A lot, um, lot of good gags. A lot of good gags in this movie. A lot of good gags. Yeah, we're 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 running long anyway. So uh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Uh, uh, I do. I mean, I love all the Rankin and Bass stuff at the beginning. That that's what really like the first time I saw this in theaters. That was what was immediately like, oh, this is something different. Like yeah. like the the rank, playing with Rankin and Bass, and and you know even just the the opening. Uh, we were just talking in the Vertigo episode about opening credits with the book pages yeah but, um yeah but you know you've got the kind of the the way it's very lovingly done as you know a tribute to Rankin and bass but then it's like a little it's a little modernized it's a little twisted you know the 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 book like slams on the little puffin and, and he yeah. cries out in pain and it's it's not like it you know it's not it's not trying to be like edgy or anything it's not but it's trying to be it's like mean spirited it's not mean spirited yeah it's just trying to be like a little bit more more updated yeah. um and you know, then you get the 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 Leon, the the snowman, and and all this stuff, and you're like, oh, this is this very lovingly. It, it it's not like it's it it sets the tone immediately for the movie, and it, it it's like it's it's very lovingly referential, but it's not like this kind of detached irony, like like South Park or something, you yeah. know. Which which is I'm trying to think of what what else was kind of big at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, it so it, it is it's it's like parody but homage and and yeah it's it's just such a great way to establish like this is this is what we're going for it's it's gonna be funny it's gonna be kind of wink wink nod nod to older Christmas movies mm-hmm. but we're not gonna make fun of you we we're also going to be one of those 
Christmas movies, and yeah. we're not going to like make fun of you for liking those movies. For like, yeah, for like, because like, because the movie has a lot of references to. Other, like, one I wrote down was like when Buddy goes to the bridge. I was like, oh, it's a wonderful life, or is this? It's mm-hmm. wonderful life when he's like contemplating what he's doing with his life, and he, but with this mm-hmm. one, Buddy goes to the bridge. It's snowing, and he's just like, ah, oh, I've lost everything. What do I do? And then that's when Santa mm-hmm. shows up. Um, yeah, it's it, you know, it's it's very important from from right on that they establish like the point of this the point of view of this movie is buddies like and and so many like fish out of water movies it's we're you know we're we're like the real people's point of view we're the we're we're the normal people's point of view and this one is like no we're we're here with buddy buddy is is right uh he's just you know it's everybody else that's got to change yeah exactly um like I said, I agree with the opening stuff. I think they they do a great job of really capturing the tone they're going for with the Rankin and Bass stuff. And like I said, it it, it basically it, it puts it in a in a it it, it, allow, it allows somebody not be dated in a weird way. Like it, it, we get, the way they do it, we'll talk more about that. The way they shoot it and everything, it feels very much modern. Mm-hmm. And but yeah, I love when he when he's about to leave and uh, everyone's like, oh, you're leaving like here, do this, do this. And Ed Asner's like, OK, buddy, here's what you do. If you see gum on the streets, it's not candy. Don't eat it. <laughs> uh, Peep show doesn't mean you get to see your presence early. <laughs> Didn't get that one when I was now 10 or however yeah, old I was when, yeah, when yeah. it came out. Yeah, no. Asner's great. Asner's great. There's a, there's a lot of good like. Uh, nominees for the awards coming up because I think everyone's uh-huh. really good in this movie. Well, that's I, I distinctly remember like when Bob Newhart pops up at the very beginning, like both my parents being like, "Oh," and me being like, "Okay, who's this guy?" I don't know. <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, and then but I love when Farrell gets to New York and it's just him running around and seeing all the New Yorkers and he's I love the world's greatest cup of coffee. <laughs> He's like, oh my God, congratulations, what he says to them. Mm. Um, it's such a, I, I, I'm so curious. I, I don't know if anybody's ever talked about this, but it's such a, I love it, but it's such a, you know, obviously you put like, it's the most wonderful time of the year or something under there. And to yeah. do Louis Prima, not a Christmas song yeah, under that sequence is such an interesting choice, but it works. It works really well. Because it's kind of saying like, hey, baby, you're in New York. It's not Christmas. You're yeah. in New York. Louis Prima, because yeah, yeah. that's a big thing in Big Night uh, with Stanley Tucci's. Louis Prima is just like it screams New York City, baby, like Italian, <laughs> like it's just it's just it's there. Um, one thing I want to bring up, it's not it's not in the movie, but I want to want to shout out a movie that I think takes a lot from Elf, and that's Barbie. Mm. Oh yeah, Barbie takes a lot from Elf. I'm not saying this in a bad way, but like when you look at the set of Barbie, it's a very similar setup where barbie leaves her kind of like her world her specific world and becomes a fish out of water in the modern world Mm -hmm. and has to learn all the new way like learn what's going on and she meets all these random people she's going around la it's very much like buddy the elf going Mm -hmm. around new york and then to top it all off will ferrell's also in barbie so (laughs) so when when i watched i go oh i see what you're doing greta Smart move here, mm-hmm. um, but it's done well. It's- Elf has a, Elf has a little bit when we're talking about kind of parallels. So Barbie, do, not not as much, but Elf's got uh, 
Elf's got a little bit of being there sprinkled like yeah. all over it, which I love. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I love being there. Not one we've ever talked about on here. Not, um, yeah. But. <laughs> But, but you know, this kind of like, oh, how can this kind of childlike innocence change all these people? And, and everyone yeah. sees him as kind of like a mirror through which, through which they can see themselves. But I mean, yeah, it is a very, again, Farrell, Farrell commits fully to this performance. And that, that's the, yeah. the amazing thing to watch is that he is so, he seems so game. We'll talk more about later, but he just seems so, uh, into it and that's what sells the whole movie yeah um and like you're saying with kind of being there is it like if if the care this is also in the script if the characters like we're not trying they're not really always trying to, james kind of does a little bit because it's, it's kind of the core of the movie no one's trying to con- fully convert him to like no be cynical like don't mm. be this way a lot of people like amy sedaris like kind of loves him uh, Mary yeah, it's literally just him. James Conn. Everybody yeah. else is like, "Oh, I like this. this I like this energy." Yeah. And James Conn is like, "No, no, <laughs> <laughs> stop it!" Um, <laughs> uh, like, because even Zoe Deschanel like, kind of is won over by him uh, after a while. Of just like, "Oh, he's just yeah, pretty." You know, she agrees to go out with him, and yeah. uh, the date the date goes well. I, you, all right, so take it back to scenes. You know, they yeah. they. Um, you know, on the rewatchables, they always talk about like, what's that? The scene that the like put the remote down scene. Yeah. Um, for in my household, if if Elf is on TV, my my dad has to watch it and at least until Buddy runs into the lockers. <laughs> the baby, it's cold outside. Yeah. That, and that is, I mean, that is such a great pratfall. Yeah. Just the and and the timing. <laughs> the, you know, when you talk about you talk about the the rhythm of a joke and kind of comic timing. It's that her screaming at him and the way he slaps his hands to his eyes yeah. and then just starts running and then just runs straight into that set of lockers. It's just perfect <laughs> physical comedy. I mean, again, all the stuff. And then going after that, after that, he has a snowball fight with the with the the brother. Mm-hmm. Just a great scene, great sequence, and then again, the, again, kind of the like bro- the two brothers enjoying New York together, jumping on the mattresses. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that like hard cut too. It's so well done. I mean, it's so simple, but it's it, they they earn they earn that character change where you know the brother's not into it, he's not digging this. They have that snowball fight, and then it's like hard cut to their best friend, <laughs> and and it feels completely earned. It doesn't yeah. feel like wrong in any way. Because then you start realizing, oh, Michael's character, like the father's not around. He's a little bit older. Like there, there's really not much. He's, he's been he's been forced to grow up, and he needs yeah. somebody to tell him it's okay to be a kid. Yeah, he's a New York kid, baby. He's got to live. He's got to yeah. be. His, he's got to be his own adult. Uh, and he's like, no, let's let's have a snowball fight. Let's do this. Let's do that. Um, and then we get to the next the ne- and so like, and and after that after the day like they're. They get the tree from the park and they're putting everything up and and buddies decorated the entire apartment just like you decorated the entire uh, Gimbal's uh, department store. And when they're putting trying to put the tree on, they do the whole Texas switch <laughs> where Farrell walks off and the random, mm-hmm. random guy jumps the tree. But, the, stunt, the, the stunt guy hops on the tree. So good. So good. Just but, fantastic physical comedy directing here. But I love conscious like, oh, what if you stay home to say, Steam Virgin? What if you stay home? and uh um watch him she's like i got i got work to do man what do you like why don't you take him to work i can't mm-hmm. do that and then just again a great bit of like the now 
Farrell showing up in like the same exact outfit as James Caan mm-hmm. and trying to be like super serious. <laughs> He's like but Amy Sedaris is is uh, she's I mean she's great in, in all of these scenes, but the, the like when she's playing when she's like you look so, so good, good. Yeah. he's like oh thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Francisco, Francisco, or whatever. It is. Yeah, but you you don't have to drink that coffee. I still think the wildest joke in this entire movie. <laughs> It's when that guy says he's like 26, 29 or whatever he says in the mail room. 26. And like they just gl- they just gloss right over it. I wrote that down. <laughs> I wrote that down. I was like, that guy's that 26. That, that, that guy's a hard 45. That guy's a hard 45. <laughs> he was just like, but he's just like, yeah, man. Yeah, he's like, I'm 26. What have I done with my life? And Buddy's like, yeah, man, I feel you. And, it's <laughs> and I think, again, th- that, that's a good key moment because any other movie would be like, you're 26. But Buddy is mm-hmm. just so like I know, man. It's it's so tough. Like he he he's so <laughs> he's so like feels for the guy. But yeah, when I, I was like, wait, what? This guy's <laughs> this guy's oh, yeah, this guy's not twenty six. Um, but yeah. Um, and then again, then just again, the wherever Buddy goes, he just really like just affects everyone. And mm-hmm. it's it's it, he yeah. Just, I love the. I love the callback, you know, it's, it's, it's set up punchline and then callback with the, the date and, and him just taking, uh, Jovi back to all, all those place places from saw, that, you know, yeah. the, the coming to New York sequence is so much fun. And then to like play it back, but then get her kind of like dry take on it when the, the first round of it was so earnest yeah. then you get like a little bit of an ironic twist on it, but then you're also seeing her adopt his yep. point of view as that sequence is going on and it's yep. such a great callback to then just kind of tweak it a little bit and then to also see her character change yeah because it's 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 the big one where he's like trying to just like trying to find the trees like this is a big one and then she's just like oh well, let me just show him the really big one and go mm-hmm. thanks to rockefeller center and it just becomes this kind of it room. is a crappy cup of coffee <laughs> that was my favorite one too um but I love I love the date sequence again. I love them on the on the ice skating rink at Rockefeller Center. It, it's just a really it, it becomes like a nice little rom com. Mm-hmm. And after that, you get Pierre Dinklage showing up <laughs> as Miles Finch, the uh, the children's book author that's going to save the day. Because <laughs> that's the, this plot line of like it's very like Scrooge esque, where it's like James Con because he like printed off the book. The children love the books. <laughs> he printed off the kids' books. Without the t- with the two pages missing, so the story doesn't finish. Like, oh, they're just kids; they'll forget. They'll, they won't remember it. And then, like, he has to redo a whole new book or whatever. And he brings mm-hmm. and and Pierre Dinklage because I remember Favreau. I was reading Favreau said how like Dinklage played it straight. Like he he, he played it like a drama. Like he was being insulted about mm-hmm. his 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 height. And then you have some like Farrell who's like committed to the bit of like, oh, you're an elf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Must be a South Pole elf. Um, and then Khan like really has a great moment where he like basically like basically flips out on him. It's like the most like dramatic moment of the movie. And I remember I uh, Favreau, he said Favreau said uh he before he did the scene he went up to him and whispered in his ear, and they're like, "What'd you whisper in his ear?" He's like, "I remind him he's Sunny Mother Effin Corleone." 
And that's what yes. it, that was his direction for. Her that, when he did. That, yeah, that, and it, it absolutely plays like that. Yeah. It, it, he, James Conn is in a different movie, and it works because his character is in a different world than yeah. Buddy's is. Yeah, and he's the last one to kind of come over into Buddy's worldview. But like that scene, you know, the scene when when Michael comes back and is like, "Dad, we gotta go find Buddy," and he's like, you know, the 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 kind of the the thesis of the movie is buddy buddy cares about everyone you only care about yourself yeah and then he's just got that like no you don't you don't, you don't talk to my son like that you know what yeah you, you don't you, you can't talk to my son like that it's it's, it's such a like real moment it, yeah it has a very i wrote that it has a very uh, the pitch being has a very mary poppins with mr banks when he goes to mm-hmm. when he goes to yeah. the bank after the kids like did around the bank and he's just like mm-hmm. wait maybe this isn't that important to me like maybe i'm missing out it's being really big here over this like stupid but he, but he yeah but he plays it like a scene out of the godfather yeah. you know it, don't, it's, talk to my kid. <laughs> don't talk to my kid that way yeah uh, it's great um and then yeah and then he had the big finale the singing finale i love mary sin virgin's just horrible singing when she's singing with zoe deschanel um and, and that I, was before her that was before her her head injury or um you know have you seen all that stuff no she had she had surgery and when she came out of it, she's like a musical genius now. She was like not musical in any way before, but she like went under for some sort of surgery. And when she woke up, she was like, she can see music now. And she writes, she, they moved to Nashville. She and Ted Danson moved wow, to Nashville. Really? And she, she like writes country music now. That's wild. I never knew that. Okay. Yeah. This was a couple. This was just like a couple years back, but she was like, "Yeah, I was never musical before." Like went under for the surgery and just like woke up, and she was like, "I can just write music now." Okay, um, <laughs> didn't know that. Good to know. Well, uh, with that, any other favorite scenes you want to talk about at the anything with the um, ends? Like, I love the Chris. Everyone coming together. I do love shout out shout out John Favreau's cameo because he's he's great. He he he, he, ha- he actually has scene. several cameos, by the way. He, oh. he, he does some voices, so we'll talk about that a little bit. Okay, well, we'll shout out John Ca- John Favreau on camera as the doctor. As the doctor. As, yeah, yeah. He's your son. Yeah, yeah, and the, he he and he and Farrell play really well with each other yeah. with the the pricking of the finger and everything. Why does my finger have a heartbeat? Like, that was a good bit, a lot of good bits, like, as we said. Um, all right, so onset life. Production of the film would begin on December 9th, two thousand two, in New York City. And when talking about from in New York, Favreau told Rolling Stone that when we were scouting, it was not long after 9-11. Having grown up in New York, it was so sad to me that people thought of Manhattan and how it related to 9-11. It was a city in mourning. And to go and make a movie about Christmas where the Empire State Building was something Buddy dreamed about from a snow globe and where his, where his father worked, it was almost like reclaiming Manhattan. It's a good point because I never really thought about mm-hmm. that, that they're, they're making this basically a year after yeah. 9-11. But they couldn't film the entire movie in New York City because it was too expensive. So they only filmed in New York for 13 days to capture all the Christmas decorations of New York City. And because Hmm. they didn't have a big budget, they had to find ways to save money. And director of photography Greg uh, Gardner said he didn't want the New York City street scenes to feel fake. So they decided to put Farrell out there in New York in the Buddy the Elf outfit and just see what happens. So they had to develop mm-hmm. this guerrilla style way of filmmaking to capture these scenes. And they'd basically go out and ask real New Yorkers in the street if they wanted to quickly appear in a scene and they just give him, give them cash for being in the movie. So all the New Yorkers you see in this movie, all the people you see in this movie, when he's like walking down the street with them, 
all mm -hmm. real people <laughs> who were just walking around New York at the time. Uh, so many there's there's so many good sight gags in that sequence, but I think my favorite is him taking the flyers. Yes. Uh, <laughs> just going back and forth between the two guys. Oh, thank you, thank yeah. you. <laughs> I mean, also the other one like Santa. Sa oh, like when he sees the man in the red jumpsuit. It's great. There's so much good things. So many good things. The first thing they shot was Farrell coming out of the tunnel uh, in New York. And Favreau said, whenever Farrell was out there in his suit, we'd hear screeches and fender benders and light smashing. People be looking at him walking on the side, and that would cause a <laughs> few minor traffic accidents. However, someone who someone was having doubts about the project, and that was Farrell. When people asked him over the years if he knew Elf would be a big hit, he said he either thought it would be a big hit or it'd be the end of his career. He talked, he talked about how the time old school hadn't come out yet, so people were confused as to why the popular SNL cast member was walking around New York in, a, in an elf costume. He said someone asked him, are you doing okay? <laughs> he said the time he was most known for more provocative and raunchier roles, so this was a very different style of comedy for him. Faison Love would layer so that Farrell would tell him several times on set that he was worried, and he would ask if he thought what he was doing was funny, and Faison was like, I looked at him in yellow tights, so I was like, yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, Love also said there were tensions between Favreau and Farrell on set because Farrell seemed to be worried about the tone Favreau was going for. Uh, Love also said that Farrell allegedly tried to get people to rally against Favreau and that the crew was fully mm. on Favreau's side during the entire thing. I don't know how true that one is, but it, it somewhat makes it like there's something when you read certain stories with these movies, you hear a version of the truth and mm -hmm. you don't always hear because it was a big hit so we don't talk about the bad times but i feel like there's something maybe to this and i also again i think i think farrell he said he had doubts about like was it gonna be a big hit or not so i do think this has something to do with it where he's kind of worried i'm not known for these roles i don't I, I don't if this this could be like oh whatever happened to that guy that's what he was worried about yeah. with this movie yeah and i mean you, you look back at any of the careers of those people to come off snl it's like that first one you can you can make them while you're you know you can make those lauren michaels movies that he's paying for while you're on the show yeah. but that first one you do outside of like a lauren production is is the make or break one. i mean one of the greatest snl performers of all time is dana carvey and dana carvey mm. had a several bad movies and then his Dana Carvey show just had a streak of bad luck with where, like what they were doing uh, and where it was placed at. And his career, while he still works, he never reached the pinnacle of what he was on SNL. And yep. so, and that happens to a lot of people. So yeah. you want, you want that to like, he wants this to really work. Um, and he was kind of the first one out of that late nineties group to, I think leave and do his own thing. So that was kind of a big deal for him. So several members of the crew were also worried about how James Kahn would be on set because Kahn had developed a reputation for being difficult to work with. So many people were intimidated by him when he showed up to the set on the first day. But before they started filming that day, Kahn got up and did a speech. He said, my name is James Kahn, but I want you to know that I want you to call me Jimmy the Dream. Is what he said to them. And everyone that helped kind of release the tension. And the next day, the chair that he sat in was changed from James Kahn to Jimmy the Dream. <laughs> now, the New York section of the film would wrap right before Christmas. And the crew had gone, hey, this before moving to Vancouver to film all the interior scenes. 
Now, after filming the New York section of the film, the dailies were sent to Bob Shea. Now, Bob Shea was the founder of New Line Cinema. I think also kind of the president of it. So he kind of had a big say in what was being made there. Shea watched the dailies mm-hmm. with Kale Boiter, the junior executive, the kind of shepherd of the project. And Shea, it seemed he wasn't happy about it because he didn't think it was funny. And he asked Kale if he thought it was funny. And he's like, yeah, I do. And after that, Shay's like, okay, fine. Just go finish making the movie. Because Kale reasoned, he's like, look, you're watching date. And this is true. You're watching dailies out of context. So like the humor's not really going to fully appear until it's edited mm-hmm. to- together. So after the holidays, they moved to Vancouver because it was cheaper to find studio space. But with them saying that, I'm not actually sure they actually shot on a legitimate soundstage in Vancouver. For the exterior North Pole sequences, uh, they couldn't find a stage that was wide enough to capture the Rankin and Bath style they wanted to go for. So they ended up shooting on a hockey rink and they built the set on top of that and around it. So that's all oh, wow. that's all in a hockey rink. And for all the other interior scenes, they filmed the movie at a closed down mental institution. But Favreau says, and I think this is true, that portions of the hospital were actually still open and had patients in it and they were just shooting <laughs> in a closed down portion of it. he's like yeah so some people probably saw a man in a elf suit running around outside their window and be like what the hell's going on <laughs> um he also says they're they were filming in the same building as another new line cinema movie at the time and that was freddy versus jason i was watching i, I watched freddy versus jason with, with a friend of mine this year around around halloween and he was <laughs> He's he, at some point he said like this movie is so Canada coded and I was like <laughs> oh you know what you're right like you can kind of tell when a movie's shot there. in Vancouver yeah so the, so apparently when the buddy's running around Will Ferrell's running around his buddy someone Robert England's running around as Freddy Krueger Kruger are the same place um, mm-hmm. Favreau so they built gimbals in the cafeteria of the mental hospital uh, while other oh set, while other sets like the Greenway publishing offices the Hobbs apartment and the mailroom scenes were filmed all over the hospital. While some of the singing finale was filmed outside Central Park in New York, some of it was actually shot on a grassy field by the hospital. Uh, (laughs) Production designer Rusty Smith said that it was when they first started filming there, it was one of the creepiest sets he'd ever been on. So yeah. Uh, While visual effects were becoming all the rage in 2003, Favreau wanted to shoot the film as practical as possible. Some believed he did this because he felt the movie would quickly become dated within a few years through the early CGI or CGI effects that were going on at that time. Uh, that's what caused them to shoot a lot of the North Pole scenes by using forced perspectives, meaning they put one character, one actor closer to the camera, one actor farther mm-hmm. away from the camera. And it hadn't been done in a long time, but it's funny that they were doing it this time. And also Lord of the Rings was also doing it through New Line Cinema at the same exact time. Uh, but because they were doing this, production soon fell behind and they seemed they had to be forced to stop doing the forced perspective scenes because it was taking so long. So they actually brought in a second unit team, basically in their production team to work at night, to prep the scenes for the next day for the main team to shoot, shoot them. For the scenes when Bob Newhart is interacting with buddy, the elf at at a variety of ages, they would actually put Bob Newhart far away from camera and they would use a kid to pose as like the body of Bob Newhart. So the scene when Farrell sits in Newhart's lap, they had Bob Newhart 10 feet away from camera and they had like a kid's legs pop out underneath Will Ferrell. Uh, mm-hmm. And he was hiding by like laying on a surfboard behind Will Ferrell. <laughs> uh, they also, the kid poses Bob Newhart's hands during the bike riding scene through the workshop. Uh, uh, in the end, they had a total of 47 forced 
perspective shots in the movie. Uh, not all were used. There was actually a few scenes, like a baseball scene, I believe, as well in the film. Uh, but they they did a lot of them. Uh, while doing the stop motion sequences uh, for them because they wanted to be like Rankin and Bass, they got word that there was an issue with clearance. And people were wondering, were they taking too much inspiration from Rankin and Bass movies? Because apparently if you watch, I think I think one, one of the ones they have is that there's one of the elves in the movie is wearing the exact same outfit as Buddy the Elf in this movie. Um, and hmm. so people had believed they cleared it legally, but apparently it wasn't the case. So while they were shooting the North Pole scenes, they actually put Farrell in a blue elf suit to make it different from the Rankin and Bass images they're taking from. The only issue was they'd already shot all the New York scenes with him in a green outfit. <laughs> so they, they had to either go back and reshoot all the stuff with Farrell in a blue outfit, or there was talk of, the, of, of like digitally changing the color for for those sequences now in the vancouver stuff they actually they would actually during the north pole during the north pole sequences they would have feral shoot in the green outfit and the blue outfit and that's how they they, they spent a lot of time on the movie basically i guess is <laughs> shooting two different versions of the scene finally someone someone in legal made it all work out and they didn't have to go to those links of reshooting or digitally changing anything but there apparently was footage of Farrell in a blue outfit on those sequences. Favreau would encourage, encourage a lot of improv on set, which makes sense because a lot of people in this are veteran comedians. Uh, but the one person who was not used to all improv was James Caan. <laughs> and it seems Farrell's constant ad-libbing was frustrating Caan to a certain point. Uh, but Favreau <laughs> said that adding cast members like Andy Richter and Kyle Gass and Amy Sedaris in the scenes with Caan kind of helped him ease into the nature of the improv on set one section that was not in the original script uh was jovi singing but once favreau learned that deschanel could sing they add that scene to showcase her singing abilities and speaking of other singing stuff Farrell also ad-libbed all of his singing in the movie uh also hmm. speaking of Farrell, while filming he had to consume a lot of sugar as by the elf apparently it gave him a lot of headaches on set as well because of that for the scene where he mixes candy and chocolate syrup in a bowl of spaghetti, uh, Farrell vomited on set and had to, and had to reshoot it again and would eventually develop, develop a migraine from all the sugar he was consuming. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, filming would wrap in March 2003, and Farrell, who was always kind of intimidated by James Caan, but would also have a chance to kind of joke with him a lot, gave him a rap gift, and he gave him a rap, get, rap, get, rap gift, and he wrote a note and said, great working with you. The first one's a little bit slow, but the second two are really good. And it was the Godfather trilogy on DVD. <laughs> and the, the joke being is that Khan's only in the first one. Yeah. Um, once the filming ended. Yeah, he's in the second one. Is he in the second one? There's a, there's a shot. There's like a flashback of them at dinner that they brought him back for. He like shot like one scene. For I thought it. they didn't use that, though. I, maybe I'm wrong. I've seen that scene. Because I just know they tried to get Brandon, and Brandon was like, cool, give me a million dollars. And they're like, no. And oh, God. Now I feel like I need to Google it because I've definitely seen that scene before. Let's see. Hold on. Okay. So he did. Okay. He did appear in it. I could have sworn. Okay. It's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah. Oh, that's what it was. Brando was supposed to be in it. Okay. It was Khan who asked for the money from the, that he made from the previous film that gave it to him. Brando was supposed to be in it, but just didn't show up on the day of filming. <laughs> that checks out. <laughs> Um. Anyway, but uh, once something ended, Favreau would go to the editing room, and it seems like the drama 
that they were having a little bit on set would continue there. And that leads us to aftermath. So what, what I read from phase on love was again, that there was some tensions between Favreau and Farrell. This is from an interview from Vlad TV in 2021. Uh, and Farrell, Farrell, or he said that Farrell didn't really trust Favreau style directing. Um, and when it came to the editing of the film, it seems like a lot of people were worried because old school did so well. And so I'm not sure if the studio was this way or Farrell was this, was this way, but basically they tried to cut the movie to fit in with the more old school type audience. Uh, they said when New Line did a test screening for family and friends, even though it did very well, the thing that was missing from the first from this cut was the ending where everyone's singing to get the sleigh to start working. Basically, it just ended with mm-hmm. Farrell fixing the sleigh and him and Santa taking off, and that was the end of the movie. So it didn't pay off any of the other characters that Farrell has met along the way. And that was because they wanted to focus solely on Farrell because of the huge hit with Old School that happened that year. Mm-hmm. Um, but Favreau's director's cut didn't actually have what would we end up seeing with everyone singing and kind of the 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 ending sequences with all the characters and kind of seeing where they go um and essentially favreau took his cut and it seems like either favreau paid for a test screening on his own that showed his original cut and they did great numbers and then he gave it to new line and they tested uh favreau's cut this is this part is true they did they eventually did test favreau's cut after they test tried to test their own cut that didn't go as well uh, and Favreau's cut did way better and it tested well with audiences. And they're like, Hey, let's try to put it with like a college crowd. And so Farrell's like, mm-hmm. yeah, the second screen was like a bunch of like USC kids. And like, this is not going to go well. And he said it did just <laughs> as well. It just did just as well as the family screen did. So they kind of realized in the moment, okay, we should stick with Favreau's original cuts because mm-hmm. I think if someone says that basically new line couldn't figure out a way to make it more of an old school thing, because Favreau had directed it so well to stick within that family tone, there was nothing there to make it more adult. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so, you know, to put that in context, that is like, that's right at the beginning of, of what they call the, the, the frat pack. Yeah. Um, like the, the rise of the frat pack old school really kind of ushered that in. And, and you know, that, that kind of, that was, became the standard for adult comedy until like until like judd apatow yeah but yeah i can see if if you've got that is like that's coming that's the way to make money that's what everybody wants to be i mean there's a whole you could do a whole uh podcast on like the like pg-13 frat pack movies that were like trying to take that humor and sell it to to younger people yeah um so i i can see where you would you would get gun shy about putting out something that is like very earnest and and not like that at all when you've got will ferrell here and and you know that that's what's making money right now yeah so finally they released it coming out coming out november 7th 2002 2003 um almost a year after they started filming and it was met with uh a lot of success both financially and critically um it opened at number two at the box office with 31.1 million behind the matrix revolutions what time oh wow Uh, but then it topped the box office at second week in release beating out 
master and commander of the far side of the world. Um, oh man, sad to see. Um, did not see that one in theaters, but I did I watch know. it as soon as it was on VHS. Yeah, uh, it would eventually gross two hundred twenty million dollars worldwide on a thirty-three million dollar budget, and according to reports, it is yet to make any money, according to Hollywood accounting. <laughs> so, of course not. Of course not. And also received great, mostly mostly great critical reviews. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it uh, three out of four stars, calling it one of those rare Christmas comedies that has a heart, a brain, and a wicked sense of humor, and it charms the socks right off the mantelpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, Peter Travers, however, not not that big of a fan, gave it two out of four stars. Peter Travers, he loves everything. I know. Uh, he is Farrell. Farrell makes the damn thing work, even though he can't get naked or use naughty words. There's a devil of comedy in Farrell, and he lets it play out. Uh, Favreau has the good sense to just stand out of his way. So he's praising Farrell, but not really uh, the movie. Uh, oh. But then, as time has gone on, it, it developed a little bit more of a following, and, and it was seen more as a Christmas classic. Uh, Farrell talks about the premiere mm-hmm. when, they originally, when he, they originally went to the premiere. He said Khan came up to him, and he was like, hey, um... When we were on set every day, I thought you were playing the character really over the top. But now I see what you were doing. And, <laughs> and Farrell's like, okay, thanks. And he's thinking to himself, so every day he just went home like, God, this movie sucks. Like, yeah, this guy's <laughs> blowing it. Every time every time Favreau called cut, Colin was like, oh, man, this yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, but as I said, it became a big hit. They would want to do a sequel for the movie, but Farrell would actually turn the sequel, sequel down. Uh, he was offered a reported $29 million to make the sequel. And he said the reason he turned it down was that he thought about how bad the reviews would be for a sequel to Elf. I've, I've seen a quote from him one time where somebody asked him about a sequel. And he said, he said, like, I've done a lot of projects in my life. And someone out there, there's always someone who hates, like, something yeah. that I've done. Except for Elf. He was like, nobody hates Elf. And I don't want to give anybody a reason yeah. to hate elf <laughs> yeah. and that's probably yeah that's what he's thinking uh Faison love and james khan also said this is the reason there was a sequel is because favreau and will didn't get along on set so Faison hmm. has said it and james khan has said it before he passed like a few years back he said the reason we never made it was because they couldn't get along so i don't know what was happening on that set i think everyone's now like kind of like oh it was a great time we made money it was a successful mm-hmm. movie and no one wants to talk about the bad and it's like i think sometimes when it becomes good they kind of look back and like it wasn't that bad but Faison and Khan were like no apparently they didn't get along that much when they were making it um but as the movie has become a modern christmas classic it's being watched every year i think currently it's like number two on max right now for streaming and so with all that, Thomas, what worked about Elf? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the big thing is is tone. I think yep. it is something that everybody loves about kind of the classic Christmas stuff is this sense of like unironic Christmas joy or yeah. whatever, you know? And it and it is increasingly hard to make something that is that is good and that is that way um and yeah. this is really of of the modern era this is one of the few to to pull it off yeah. and and you know like like you've been saying kind of everything was working against it in the way that that Farrell's career was starting yeah. in the way that the market was going at the time like you know they were making bad santa at the same time it's just like uh 
everybody want everybody thinks people want edgy and yeah. for for all these you know for for Farrell and for Favreau and the writers to be like you know what no we're just going to we want to make a Christmas movie and and they will come you know if you if you make it they will come and and kind of the faith to do that and to pull it off and to still be funny like that that's the thing is I'm sure like you were talking about with watching the dailies and everything I'm sure there was this question of when as they kept saying no we want to make a family family film we want to make it like very earnest mm-hmm. then everybody was like okay well then it's not going to be funny and it's like no yeah. we can still do we that can do both. we can do both we can do both <laughs> yeah no i agree with all that it, it, it is very much like it, it's it's a it's like i think mean, you just like watched like i think fred claus recently right it's like I, did, I, did. I watched it yes after i finished elf uh yesterday on max it was like watch fred claus next like, okay. Like, okay i haven't seen this one in a long time that was was what's his face um uh dan fogelberg wrote that yeah. one but like not to discredit that movie but like, it's like all the ones after that there was always some sort of like more of a cynicism that ran through them like that one's the opposite yeah. vince vaughn is the cynical person he's like he's your lead character and he's kind of there. Yeah, it's literally Christmas. it's literally just the elf the other way around. Yes, it's like bringing bringing a realist, a real person to the North Pole. Yeah, and and watching him learn the spirit of Christmas from everybody else around him. Yeah, but uh, like stuff like some of those other ones, they poke a little bit more fun at like Christmas. But again, it's like I said, having Farrell and that innocence, it it allows the movie to I think carry on more because people. Uh, it's the like, it's the fish hour story. People always will relate to that, and people love the kind of innocence that Feral see because sometimes, like the characters in the movie, they hope to have that innocence as well around Christmas time. That's what they want it to mm-hmm. be. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah. So, did anything not work with Elf? Uh, I don't think so, man. It's this is one of those I've watched so many times. It's just like yeah, hammered into my brain. But um. I can't think of it, you know, as many times, a lot of these movies now that you watch like this many times, you're like, you can point to like, oh, that scene, like that scene should come out. But, um, you know, I, I have, I've seen kind of back and forth rhetoric or people, people having conversations about, especially now that, that Peter Dinklage has kind of come out later in his career and been like, I don't, I don't really want to play anything where, where the joke is that is my height or anything. And yeah. And, and so you know there is a question about how well that sequence is aged but i think if you come back you know the, the point of it is still kind of earnestness it's it's you know the the, the idea that if, if buddy knew any better he absolutely wouldn't want to make anybody feel that way it's just that he doesn't know any better so it's the line when he's just like call me elf one more time he's just like okay you're an elf like yeah. he doesn't realize <laughs> it it's like it's like he's saying not to do it he's like okay yeah yeah um so yeah if, if if i was gonna nitpick anything every every time i watch this as an adult i'm like i'm like yeah i get that it's a last second uh resolution but how if james con if you're a, a, a established businessman you should know that you guys are gonna get the absolute pants suit off of you if you steal the story oh, out, yeah. of, out of his book <laughs> it's just because he left his notebook behind doesn't mean it's fair game <laughs> yeah and also Khan doing the whole like no to like he doesn't he's like, Oh well not let's not spend money to print the last two pages. I mean, maybe they would do that, but that just feels like even I, you know, I, I I it it made me think watching this, I read a tweet like two days ago that was like there's there within like children's entertainment, there's this idea that like oh kids will like 
eat slop if you feed it to them. Yeah. Like kids want this, and it's like you know, and, and and especially now in the streaming era, where it's like let's just let's just fill as much stuff on so you can hit like children's version of this streaming thing, and it'll have hours and hours and hours. And mm-hmm. it's like you know, with with the emergence of stuff like Bluey in the last couple of years, it's been. It, it it's all oh, every time it's like oh kids will watch this they're so yeah. stupid there's always something that comes up that adults are like oh my kids love this and i love this yeah. and it's for and and kids still love quality entertainment um it's just that the businesses think it's better and more cost effective to make slop yeah and and children can't you know they, they, if you sit them in front of a tv they can't really make the it's not their decision to get up and leave or whatever mm-hmm. and yeah i think that's a, that's it absolutely right here that's the exact same mindset it was like ah they're kids they're dumb they don't know any better yeah. um i and th- this is a, a nitpick is that I think early on, I don't know. It's it's. I think it works. I think it all kind of works. It's like, but you could argue that it's the a lot of the movie is more bits than actual like script, like story structure. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, a lot of good bits. The great bits, though. Great bits, great bits. And but I, I remember like at one point I was like, oh, we're just doing like kind of bit after bit here. Like we're not really doing a lot. But I think the back half is what kind of pays it off later, and it 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 works mm-hmm. uh, in the back half. All right, film facts. So, a lot of a lot of the crew had like like uh, their kids in the movie. So one of the ones is that John Favreau's son plays uh, Buddy as a baby, like when he's like on Papa Elf's oh. lap. Like his one the yeah. one year old Buddy was played by John Favreau's son. Uh, speaking of Favreau, I said that he had several cameos. So he's in the movie, but he also has three voice cameos uh, as the baby walrus, Arctic Puffin, and Mister Narwhal. Who says? Oh, who says? Bye, buddy. bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. That's John Favreau. Thanks, Mister Narwhal. Yeah, that's that's John Favreau. Uh, Ray, uh, Ray Harryhausen, famous ad, uh, animator. He plays Polar Bear Cub. Oh no! He's the voice of the Polar Bear Cub, and then Leon Redbone does Leon the Snowman, uh, mm. in the movie. Uh, the soundtrack for the for the for Elf would be the second highest selling christmas soundtrack of all time can you guess can you guess number one christmas soundtrack uh polar express you're right we had that one i was trying to think of what we owned um uh, my my family rotation was polar express cd the elf cd and the miracle on 34th street remake the harry connick jr soundtrack interesting um also Another connection to another Christmas movie. Peter Billingsley, Ralphie from A Christmas Story, mm-hmm. plays one of the one of the the I guess the lead one of the lead elves on the on the assembly line. Yeah, he's the one that said, "You're not a cotton heading any moments, yeah. buddy." And then Favreau put him in Iron Man. Yeah, and also in a uh, couples or uh, four Christmases. So I think, or no, I'm sorry. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's he, the one that but, tells him that the flight's yeah, grounded. Favreau doesn't yeah. do that, but but Vince Vaughn, because I think they're they're all kind of in a group together. I think he's also in Couples Retreat because I think Pierre Billings is also like a producer as well nowadays. But uh, the the film would inspire the 2010 Broadway musical Elf the Musical. And then it would also inspire a stop motion animated special uh, Elf Buddies, Elf Buddies Musical Christmas, um, which I don't know if it starred anyone from the show, from the actual movie. Uh, Let me see. He did not. Ed Asner's in it though. He plays Samus. There's Ed Asner. That's it. Mark Hamill play, huh. plays 
Walter Hobbs, uh, uh, James Conn's character, and Jim Parsons plays Buddy. I didn't know that. Interesting. That's 2014. Uh, finally, they initially were going to use Macy's for the department store. Uh, but Macy, Macy's was down to, they said, okay, the only thing you need to do is we need you to cut the scene with Artie Lang as fake Santa. <laughs> because we want to sh- we want to show that like the the real Santa comes to Macy's every year. Oh, okay. I thought you were gonna say it's because of Artie Lang. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Just they want to show that the, the Santa that they had the real Santa every year, and not a fake Santa. And they're like, we can't do that. <laughs> and like, okay, we well, we can't use it. And so they had to go Gimbel's, and Gimbel's was a competitor back in the day with Macy's actually Gimbel's has been mentioned mm-hmm. in the miracle on 34th street. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about Gimbel's later. Yeah. And so they licensed Gimbel's name and kind of made their own version of Gimbel's for this movie. All right. So awards, uh, the Beatrice Strait award actor actually in scenes that kills it. Who do you have here? Where, where are we drawing the line at, at limited? I would say four, obviously four, like four or five scenes at max. Like Ar- Artie Lang is is going to be limited. I think um, Dinklage is up there is limited. Dinklage is up there. Okay. I would say even New- um, I would even say Bob Newhart and Asner. I, I if 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 that is the case, then it's Bob Newhart for me. Okay, um, I'll go with Bob Newhart as well. I just think because he's I mean he's just being Bob Newhart, you know, he's which so is great. Yeah, 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 <laughs> like yeah. Bob Newhart as an elf is hilarious. It's great. He's fantastic in it. Yes, I agree completely. And and Dehart, he's just, he's just so warm and like it's just, he has a warm personality. It's lovely to see. It's lovely to see. And he just he just plays it as like a real guy. Like everybody yeah. else there is like playing Christmas Elf, and he's just like yeah, I'm I'm, <laughs> well, it's, I'm Bob Newhart. It's, the all, elf. it's also kind of just like yeah, they kind of wanted to give it to a to an elf that uh got a little too focused on his work and didn't have kids like he wanted to. And, oh yeah, that that's me. That, uh, I, I'm that I'm that <laughs> elf. <laughs> it's just, it's just so it's so sweet. It's so sweet. All right, the Annie Potts X Factor Award supporting actor actress is the most memorable. For me, I'm saying James Caan. Oh man, I might go Zoe Deschanel, but you know, I'll, I'll back you. I'll Let's back you, go, James Caan. I, I think she's. I think she's great in she this. Is great. Um, she also uh, on, on, think, on the blonde on the blonde hair. She apparently did it for a different movie, and then she thought about changing it back, but realized she'd done a screen test for this one, so she kept it blonde. And now people think she's her, blonde and Frasier. Oh, is it really? That might be why she had it. Mm-hmm. So people, so people think that she's like naturally blonde because of this movie. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, I think you know it's great, and I love this the scene with like just kind of you know it works out perfectly with with her as a person and and this whole kind of the whole thing of like Christmas spirit is singing and she can sing. I, both, I, I had they this, both have good uh, arcs. They both have really good arcs. Con and yeah, I, I had this on uh, when I had this on yesterday, and they, I think they're playing us her singing. Oh, it's um when she and Leon Redbone do "Baby It's Cold Outside" over the end credits. Yeah. I was like, and this is the beginning of me buying multiple she and, she him. and him Christmas albums yes. over the years after, <laughs> after yes. this movie came out. Yeah, it wasn't after this um, one. It was after her. For me, it was after her singing "Yes Man" as mm. the as the band that she's in Munchausen by Proxy band or whatever that she's in. in yes Man. <laughs> uh, yeah, I bought several she and him albums as well because of her singing. Um. But yeah, I'll back I'll back you for James Conn. Uh, so honorable mention to Zoe Deschanel. I think but, I think um, I think Deschanel is great. I think Conn is the heart of the movie. Like, I, I think heart. Mm-hmm. Con, you you gotta have. She has a great arc, but Conn has the biggest arc. And like mm-hmm. it's again, it's the sweet moment of like when he's hugging when he's hugging Buddy at the end. And another part where it actually bring this to your firstborn son. 
my first person's an elf, right? That's 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 <laughs> who it is. Um, I, I I just I do also feel the need to to stand up for Zoe Deschanel when I can because there's become this like meme. It's like a recurring joke online that like every role that Zoe Deschanel plays is the character from New Girl, and it's not. It's not like, no. Not even in Five Hundred Days of Summer. Like that's a completely different. I <laughs> character. agree. But it's like, oh, she's always this girl with like a ukulele, and I'm like, you're just talking about the show New Girl. That's that's what you're. That's yeah, just that's what you're talking about right now. <laughs> Have you seen Failure to Launch? Come on. <laughs> um. All right. The Gene Hackman MVP award. The person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc. This is a tough one. It's Will Ferrell. Oh, really? It's Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. For me. Okay. Yeah, I, I love Favreau. I'm a big John Favreau guy. I was just having a discussion the other day about how I wish John Favreau <laughs> would make more, more things without a certain without a certain other person involved. Um, but <laughs> uh, but it, it's it's. I mean, it hinges. This is one of those things where you know this is the type of movie. As much as we talk about uh-huh. auteur theory on here. This is the type of movie, the type of studio film where, like, if this went south, John Favreau wasn't was not going to take flack for it. Like, this this like mm. like we said, this sits on Will Fer- this this project sits on Will Ferrell's back, and this was make or break for his career. And and I think I, he absolutely carries it home. Like, I'll give you that. That's a good argument because you could argue that he then makes Sathora, and it doesn't do well, and he still gets to make Iron Man. So yeah. you are, he would have had a second, uh, another movie after this feral. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. Well, old school was big. If this it, old school still had like Luke Wilson and Vince Vaughn to kind of help carry some of it. This one's it's him on the poster. He is the, he yeah. is the sole person on the poster basically um, in a, in a Christmas elf suit. Um, it's now you could argue that if if Favreau doesn't capture the tone of it right, it's it's a disaster. But mm-hmm. I, I will agree that Farrell probably had more writing on it than Favreau did. And because you gave me Khan, I'm going to give you Farrell on this one. We'll 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 compromise right. that way. So, Will Farrell as you have MVP, MVP award winner. Congratulations. All right, final questions. I didn't tell you what to do with this one. So, if you want to cast this in the 1980s. Who would you cast? Oh man! Um, or are you, or are you thinking about this one's so hard? Because I mean, we're sitting here. Like I was just gonna say when we were talking about this resting on Farrell's shoulders, like it wouldn't have worked with Farley. It wouldn't have worked with Jim Carrey. Like it would have worked better with and Farley, it, and it, Farley than Jim Carrey. But yeah, I would I would agree. Yeah. I think Farrell's the better choice. Maybe maybe like Dana Carvey. Like I think you needed kind of a blank slate of somebody. Like if you put if you put mike myers in this like coming right off snl yeah it doesn't work like you've already got kind of this this mike myers persona like you've already got wayne like yeah you've like no like bill murray's too sad yeah (laughs) chevy chase is too Uh, much of of, of a jerk yeah yeah it's rick moranis maybe you know um mm. <laughs> like that's that's also he's got some kind of like like you know nerd stuff going on that that doesn't that it doesn't quite work but yeah it's like i don't think anyone another way you could argue this this is a, but they kind of did it a different way martin short maybe yeah but then you, get, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. you could also ride the way but could you get clifford instead like you know <laughs> what i mean like yeah yeah um yeah. I like I like going early nineties with Dana Carvey or late eighties, early nineties Dana Carvey. 
I, I could I could buy into that because I think Carvey because, again, Garth is kind of like I love Garth, him as Garth, and he is kind of the heart of Wayne's world. So I could see him being that character. Um, mm-hmm. The question is, who do you who who do you get for any other roles? Let's see. Gene Hackman. You know what? Hackman's probably the choice, honestly, because like like. Like Birdcage, Bird Bird oh, Robin Williams, actually, yeah. Ooh, I think. But then, but then you get like you're talking about Clifford. Then you get like Jack. <laughs> I like Jack as a kid. But I understand. Um, <laughs> but I, I think if I, I, oh, this is that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I think hmm, I might want to sh- switch my vote to Robin Williams with that one. My my vote is just I don't think you can do it. Like, <laughs> I, I, I really don't. Or is it John Candy? Is that is that is that a different one? Is that too? Because he has he has John the heart. Candy, like, yeah, but John Candy's whole thing was like he was worldly and but he still had a big heart. Like you mm. know, like that was that was his thing. Was you know that's planes, trains, and automobiles. It's like he's like he, this guy's been through some, but he's still like a like a good guy. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if, if I don't know if it works for him either. It's 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 so specific. It's really tough. Yeah. Uh, well, we're we're I'm gonna stick with Robin Williams and and Gene Hackman. I'll just do the we'll do the Birdcage remake. Um, we'll go with those. We'll go with those. And then, does this film fit with any other genres? I mean, we've said it a couple of times, but it's definitely a fish out of water comedy. Yeah. Um, fathers and sons. Uh. Hmm. And, and it's like you said i think it, it's got a nice little rom-com to it i like that they i like that they wrap that up by like end of act two uh you know where it's just kind of like all right she's like like jovi's good she believes in the spirit of christmas like she's set now we got to move on to walter um you know uh but but it is it, it, it works and it's there but yeah i think i think the big one is probably fish out of water um that it that it really functions within that genre as much as it does a Christmas movie, really. No, very very much so. I, I mean, I also throw in retail movie in a well, uh, mm-hmm. re, yeah, retail movie. If you want to go like really deep, because um, that was the initial idea of to do for this month. Because you got the gimbals stuff. I, I, I love no, nothing sums up corporate America more than than uh, when Joey says you did this, and he's like, yeah, isn't it great? And she's like, they're pissed about this. <laughs> 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 and he's just like they they sent so phase on love's great in this too it was just like they sent one so i think this is this is good it's almost too good they sent someone the bit from, <laughs> from, from from upstairs gun from someone's gun from my job we're gonna be on the same team and i'm like you've never met buddy before in your life until now and now you're just like yo we're on a team don't don't screw yeah. this up also just how bad mill management is he doesn't know seasonal who, hires who for you is. man <laughs> seasonal hires they got they got a band together retail seasonal hires i've been there <laughs> that's funny um and then how does this film fit with the new york christmas genre yeah i mean i think it's like i said at the top of the episode it's it's this ultimate like buddy quite literally saves the soul of new york he's got everybody out there singing on the on the local news um yeah and and you know as his father is kind of the last domino to fall but it, but the this whole movie is about him bringing christmas spirit to to new york um mm-hmm. 
and kind of you know the joke even in the beginning when he's in that rankin bass stuff is like the setting up like new york is not is not a christmas wonderland wonderland like it, yeah. it might it might look like it is but it's not um yeah and you have to be prepared for that uh, but yeah it, it is it is ultimately about kind of bringing that kind of christmas innocence to to the city and to the kind of mm-hmm. cold hearts of the city for at least one time a year we're going to take away that cynicism and create optimism in, in in yourself um and you also have again the new york kind of imagery that really just it creates this almost postcard type christmas um and we'll see that kind of i think throughout the month a little bit but i think they said the big thing is like cynicism is the what runs through new york in a way is what people are people in a country see it as and so christmas is the way to kind of warm their hearts um so with that that's it on elf thomas uh we finally did it we finally did it so be sure to, for, for those who are listening be sure to follow our patreon uh we just did a lot of noir stuff we did night moves Thomas and I did the kid detective and Devin don't wear plaid. Um, so join us, join us on that. If you can, uh, there's a $1, $5, $10 sign up fee for those. Um, but next week though, Thomas, the New York Christmas genre, what are we talking about? It happened on fifth Avenue there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> this is one, uh, that I, I really enjoy. It plays on Turner classic movies every year. So it's probably streaming on the TCM app. I feel like if you, you download that but um a little little less seen but a a really nice little uh 1940s christmas movie so yeah it's gonna be a blast yeah it's it's hopefully you you all i don't know if it's streaming anywhere um it's a big one that's kind of been popping up a lot every every year now on tcm yeah yeah yeah. so um so if you're listening and and december uh it will probably be on tcm pretty soon if not already. Um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about that one uh, and kind of hear more about it because uh, it's just a lesser known one uh, within this kind of genre. But yeah, that's all we have in this episode. If you have any questions for us, feel free to contact us podcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions, comments, and if you're a new listener or a fan of the show and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us, be sure to subscribe to Sination Podcast to update all our new episodes. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your podcast. And if you haven't already, be sure to arise from your preferred podcast platform. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is rating five stars for all to hear. Key words, key thing is five stars. Five stars. That's your Christmas gift to us. And do as yep. much as you can. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your neighbor down the street, spread the good word. Help us, help it be a good holiday. Like, warm our cynical hearts mm-hmm. to, the, to you who are listening. Uh, and finally, don't forget to follow us on Facebook. Instagram, X, Windows, Twitter, Letterboxd, and TikTok. Thomas, as always, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening. We hope you listen to more episodes soon. Bye.